What's up, everyone? This is another episode of Oversimplified, and I'm your host, Connor Dewey. So for this episode, I want to talk about Masters of Doom, which is a book that I recently finished, and I recently wrote a blog post on it. Um, I thought it was really good. Um, like This book had me up until, I think, 4 a.m. one night, just reading it, just diving in. I just couldn't stop reading. Um, so it was that, like, captivating for me um i thought it was really awesome so what i did was i wrote up some of the my favorite lessons or takeaways from from reading this book and i thought i'd share them with you in audio form here so this is like eight fairly bite-sized lessons from masters of doom i highly recommend checking out the book if you uh, haven't heard of it before just look it up Um, basically it's the story of john carmack and john romero um, these were the two guys that came up with Doom, which is a really popular video game franchise. Um, really, they like popularized the like the first-person shooter genre, um, f- at least from my understanding of it. And John Carmack did like a bunch of innovative stuff on the technical side. Um, I think he's in like the Gaming Hall of Fame now. But basically they left a huge um impact on the video game industry and on the tech industry like at scale as well so lots of cool stuff lots of stuff to learn um let's dive into each of these the first point that i wrote about was that games create novel worlds um this isn't super surprising i think we all kind of know this that video games are a way for us to it's kind of a manifestation like a manifestation if i can talk um of our creativity so like we all have these imaginations we have these kind of like stories we have these narratives um like video games or how those things come to life in a way you can say like writings how they come to life plays movies entertainment video games are arguably the most immersive way that these that these things actually can be experienced um so you see this like in history with like plays paintings um there's like stuff here about cave paint cave paintings in southern france um being like immersive environments um so you see this throughout history and like video games like they are supposed to be immersive experiences when you realize that human beings have been doing this for thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years um and the video games are just another way that this takes form it uh i don't know it makes video games seem more important to me like like yes they're kind of just like silly games sometimes but like this is some kind of inherent human behavior that we've been doing pretty much forever um and video games are the latest and best way to do that which i I think that's pretty cool um and we'll see this more with vr ar xr stuff coming up um We'll talk a little bit more in, like in later on in this podcast about like the metaverse. Um, so this isn't going away, and I just thought this was a really really cool lens to look at video games through. Next was don't wait for the muse. So this is something that I talk about a lot, but basically, if you're going to wait for inspiration, then that inspiration likely won't come. So. It's okay if you don't have anything original to contribute right off the bat. You just want to just start doing the thing. So use other people's ideas, steal from other people, put your own twist on it. Um, 
just get started. And you see this with Carmack, um, like in his development process. He didn't start off trying to innovate and do his own thing. He took what was already out there and continued to iterate on it and layer on complexity until it became this totally new thing that ended up kind of like shocking the world once, twice, and three times over. Um, so that one's pretty straightforward, but I just think that's important to call out. You see this over and over again. Um, and this is something that I like really, really um, like deeply believe. Next is create what you know. So in the in the book, basically, um, like id is like the name of their like game studio. And what they do is they they're basically like kids when they start out. So they're in their late teens or in their early twenties, um, and they're just kind of like having fun hacking. And so what they do right, and they didn't really set out to do this right, it just kind of happened, is they created the types of games that they would want to play. So this normally turned out to be like really gory games or really kind of like edgy, funny games um, with like more graphics and more kind of like slapstick humor than you normally see in typical games. Um, And it, it pissed some people off, but it also allowed them to produce better output because they were their customer, they were their number one user. Um, and so like they would produce these games and then they would be playing the games together, like into like, like 24 seven around the clock. And then they would learn from that. And like, that's basically how you know that you're creating something like great. It's, it's so much easier if you're the first customer and this applies to like writing. If you enjoy your writing, if it's something that you would read, then it's probably going to be better and you're going to at least find that audience of one, which probably is more like an audience of a thousand or 10,000 plus. Um, this, you see this with products. Like a lot of the most successful products are people scratching their own itch. Um, so just across the board, I think like this is one thing that this is one of the biggest themes I think in the, in the book that stood out to me is th- they were really just a couple of like kids hacking, scratching their own itch. Um, which is, is really cool and and motivating. Next was start with research. So when you look at Carmack, who's really like the key man, excuse me, in their like software group, um, he's the technical lead. He's like the CTO, but he talks about his research process towards the end of the book. And basically he says that he starts out these projects by just collecting as much research material as possible and just consuming it. So for him, this looks like a ton of textbooks, ton of papers. Um, It's like a purely academic kind of pursuit and he just immerses himself in this. And at one point he suggests that um, like if it's not crunch time, then you should probably take just a week each quarter um, and just go on these kind of like research excursions, he calls them. Um, which I think is like close to what Bill Gates talks about in taking like, I think he calls it a think week. Um, so you see this kind of like repeated across people that are known to innovate. Um, and I really think there's something here, like getting out of the daily grind and just exploring new material and developing your mental model um, seems really valuable. Um, this is something that I'd like to keep in mind and maybe implement at some point in the future. Um, and this also reminded me, kind of how like my learning process works. So when I pick up something new, for instance, when I was trying to get better at software development um, over the last 
like six to 12 months. That's been one of my focuses. So in my spare time, I've been, like I started out just collecting a ton of material, taking a bunch of courses, reading, um, basically just trying to like develop some sort of mental model of how these things work. I found that like doing that initial research actually lets you learn what's important so that you can prioritize and like you understand how the pieces fit better together when you have a holistic view of the field or of the thing that you're trying to learn. Um, so it doesn't totally match up one-to-one -one with this Carmack example, but once that research is done, then you can move into creating output. So I optimize for super frequent output first so that the feedback loop is faster. And then eventually I'll learn and iterate and continue to get better at that thing and move into more kind of quality, um, maybe a lower cadence, but deeper work that can really um, explore kind of different nuances of the thing that I'm trying to do. So kind of a bit of a tangent there, but I saw that connection and I wanted to point that out because I thought it was interesting. Next up was learn to love the process. So this is another learning from Carmack. Um, he talks about towards the end of the book how like he doesn't really find any pride or find like any happiness out of the achievements. Um, there's one scene in the book where uh, it's not him. I think it's I think it's Romero, but like someone's like like the whole software group is kind of like going down, going up in flames. And they're like launching this big project, but it's just like one person like all alone in the server room hitting a button. Um, and you contrast that to the beginning of the book when there it's like five of them there, the whole team's there, they're like drinking, they're having fun. Um, and you can kind of like look at those two moments. And and what I take away from that is basically it's it's cheesy, but it's it's really the journey, not the destination. Um, like you hear that, but it's actually in my experience and um, like. In the experiences of Carmack and Romero in Masters of Doom, it does appear to be like super, super true. The next one is the barriers just aren't there. So I don't know. I could have worded this a little bit better. Um, but the gist here is that now that we're living in the information age, the internet and marginal costs are to zero. Um, you don't need status. You don't need money. You don't need people on your side to build something amazing. Um, like in the instance of Carmack and Romero, they were just kids with a bunch of caffeine and pizza and some PCs. Um, and at the beginning, they didn't even have PCs. They would steal them from their current employer. Um, and before that, they tried to steal them from schools. Um, so like as someone that's privileged enough to have a MacBook that I'm recording this on, um, as someone that's privileged enough to have a roof over my head, like... I see this two ways. I see this as super exciting um, because like the ceiling is very, very high. There's like a lot that I can achieve in this world and that's like super motivating to me and cool. And then on the other side, it, um, it kind of also is a little bit scary. Um, like for me, if, if the ceiling is that high and you have all this privilege and you don't execute and you don't produce something and you don't make something of yourself um that can be a letdown so i, I kind of like take this two ways um and those two sides of the spectrum um i kind of i don't know i go back and forth on it so that's like something that i want to think about more but it ultimately stems from the fact that with the internet 
you can do so much more with so much little. And we see this with communities like Indie Hackers. Um, if you're like in the tech Twitter community, you see this all the time of stories of people. Um, all they need is a laptop and they can grow a business of thousands. They can influence thousands of people. Like um, The possibilities are endless. Next up was small teams when. So this is a pretty common takeaway that you hear in a lot of cases. Um, it reminded me first off of like the like Jeff Bezos two pizza rule. Um, he talks about how like a team working on a given task should be able to share two pizzas. Um, so if you have to order more than two pizzas to feed them, then your team is too big. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like that like rule of thumb, <clears throat> but really where this comes from is that like Carmack and Romero had a very specific culture. Um, on their dev team, and as they tried to grow and scale, that culture was very polarizing, and it ended up kind of pushing people apart, and eventually the whole thing blew up. Um, but the idea here is that, and they talk about, Carmack talks about this towards the end, is that they got bigger, but they didn't necessarily get more done, because they had to chop up problems more, there was communication overhead, um, like more people, but less information spread among the people. Um, so the, his argument is that the max programming team size should be very small. And I tend to agree with that. Last but not least, um, this is like relevant in what you hear a lot about today is the metaverse. Um, so if you haven't heard of the metaverse, um, I think it comes from a science fiction novel, maybe published in the 80s. Um, I'm going to get this wrong. But basically what it is, it's like that it's essentially the term of choice for an immersive online shared space or experience. So in the context that you hear a lot about it today is things like things like Fortnite. Um, that's the example that comes to mind first for me. People talk about Epic Games creating their own metaverse. And basically what that means is that like people are playing this game Fortnite. There's like millions of active users on it. Um, and you see them go from gaming to the next step, which is kind of a digital economy, to the next step, which you see recently they had and hosted concerts um, on Fortnite. So it's kind of slowly becoming like a social environment too and like people talk about a third place it's, it's like in a way becoming that for a lot of people um so you see the video games are kind of a natural bridge into the metaverse so so i don't know i, I want to keep an eye on this space and, and see what happens it reminds me a lot about um kind of like if you look at the history of silicon valley and the history of where a lot of like the tech that we use today comes from Atari was like one of the first big innovative tech companies. Um, like, like it was long before Apple, um, like long before Next. I don't know. Um, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But like a lot of the stuff we use today and a lot of the cool ideas in Silicon Valley came from Atari. That's where Steve Jobs actually had his first job, I think. Um, and I don't know, I think that's still embedded in the culture. Like gaming, cool things that become more pervasive in culture often start off looking like games and they often start off in video games. So this this kind of like re, 
reignited that like knowledge for me at least or reignited that idea that things start off often in video games and then they kind of that bridges the gap into like more of the tech that we use each and every day so I've, I've been keeping more of an eye on video games since i read this because that reminded me of that fact so i think that's a cool thing to to keep an eye on that's all i have that's my eight lessons from masters of doom um like i said i highly recommend checking out the book um until next time that's that's all i got um so see you around